Good evening. Good evening. Happy New Year. Happy Advent. Um, welcome to the final event of the 2022 year for the CTM. And uh, it's the the end of we've been, this is the, the basically the conclusion of five five years of of doing these events. So welcome. It's great to have a big crowd, um, even with all the crazy stuff going on that that can try to get in the way of of us doing things that we should be doing for ourselves and for our souls and for our families. So. Glad to see a big crowd. We have the front, this table is full. That one's gonna be full before the night's over. So good job in, in inviting people. Good job in showing up. And, and again, thank you for being here. On your tables, you'll have a pamphlet and let's just start with the opening prayer. Um, so if you open the pamphlet up, on the inside is the uh, our, our prayer to St. Joseph, the patron of the Community of Transcendent Men. So we begin in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. St. Joseph, protected father of the infant Jesus, and dedicated husband of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we come before you for your powerful intercession and protection. We turn to your gracious example to form and shape us into an excellent presence that will lead others to the knowledge of God, our loving Father, so that we can be examples for our family, our church, and our community. We lift up to you, St. Joseph, our joy and our pain, our success and our struggles. Through it all, with our sinfulness, may we persevere in the mission of leading our families to heaven. St. Joseph, we recognize the calm and protective presence Pretty awesome. Um, the amount of of strength that we have when we come and when we do this together with other men, the uh, Satan doesn't like it. So first, beware because he'll attack you because he doesn't like that you're doing something good. But the other side of that is keep doing what you're doing. Um, welcome to again. Welcome to our event tonight. Um, how many? Quick show of hands because I see a lot of. I see a lot of faces, which is really cool. How many have never been to? How many have never been to a CTM event of any sort at all? Anybody? Okay, a couple, two, three. All right. What? So, what parishes are you guys from? Saint Joe Imperial, Sacred Heart Valley Park, Father Mawson, and Most Sacred Heart Eureka. I'm sorry, I don't know anybody there, but welcome, Joe Kim. All right. Cool. Welcome. So how many, because I know we've had a couple, we've had the, the cross training events going. How many of you guys that have been, have been to cross training events, but have not been to one of the monthly events? Are there any of, any of you guys, or has everybody at least been to both a couple? I see, I see someone pointing fingers at someone, but I'm not going to call out that someone if they don't want to call themselves out. But again, welcome. We're glad you're here. 
Um, again, we've been doing this for five years now. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great movement. It's a good it's good to see men coming together and and doing this. When we were when we were six months and twelve months and eighteen months, and we were talking to prospective speakers, and we tell them that hey, we've got this thing going, and, and we've been doing it for for about a year and a half now, and they're like, really? You get men together once a month for a year and a half, and we're like, yeah, and they're like, that's awesome, and so now we're at five, so that's even, you know, two and a half times. I'm not sure who the mathematician is, but it's a lot more awesome. So it's good that 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 we're growing and that we're ending the year strong. Um, kind of to let you know, especially the new guys, kind of how the evening goes, because if you're if there's only one person new. Just like you know, the lost sheep, we want to make sure the one knows what's going on. We go through the readings for the, the upcoming Sunday Mass. We're in the season of Advent. We're preparing for the incarnation of Christ, for Christ being born. And so there's a lot of readings about, about the prophecies, about that stuff. So we'll go through the readings for the upcoming Sunday Mass. Father Huber will give us some catechesis and some background on those readings. And then we bring up our speaker for the evening, which also tonight just happens to be Father Huber, so we're doubly blessed in that manner. Um, and then after, after that, we'll have some time for some group discussion, because one of, the, one of the most powerful things, in my humble opinion, and that we don't get enough of, is men talking with other men about real-life stuff, about what's going on in life and how we can improve our lives, how we can lead our families to heaven, how we can lead our families to church and all of those types of things because we typically guys get together it's like hey did you see that soccer game today? Did you see that football game today or a hockey game or did you get a big deer and all those kinds of things so we'll talk about what father i think there's some questions yeah some questions from father in there and then we'll wrap it up and close with prayer for the evening yes steve no he's not um there have been a few um that's when we definitely welcome them all and and i will go out on a limb and say there have been there have been a few that that came as protestants and are now catholics and i know of at least one that's in this room tonight um but no we're all we're all brothers brothers and sisters in christ someone once told me that it's like yeah it's you have all the medicine or you have most of the medicine and and we're all in the same family and finding the the fullness of the faith is where the catholic church it's where we where we believe that 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 everything comes to be um yeah so not the first and hopefully not the last because there's a lot of them out there um this year we did we spent most of our time going through the, the things that if you have, have one of those vivid vision books, if you haven't seen one, you need to grab one. There's some on the tables. But in there, there's a, there's a, a Catholic man, the descriptives of a Catholic man. What's, you know, a Catholic, man, a Catholic man, a CTM man brings his family to church. He studies church history. He loves his wife and shows it. He, all those different types of things. And I'm drawing a blank on the rest of them. But... So that's what our focus was this year. Next year, the focus is on the, going to be on the creed. It's on the, the what we believe, why we believe what we believe. So we'll, we'll start those back up 
in January. I don't have a calendar. The first is a third. So yeah, I'm just trying. Okay, so 31st is the Tuesday, last Tuesday. Um, so those will start back up, and also we will be starting back up the men's cross training program, which mo most of you have had some exposure to that. Those nights are nine consecutive, for the most part, weeks of an hour-long program where someone comes up and speaks for 10-15 minutes on a topic and you have some time to discuss it. Um, again, the whole purpose in all that we're doing besides leading ourselves and our friends and our brothers and our sisters and our families to heaven, the, the way we're doing that is by strengthening us men to work together, talk together, and get together and do those kinds of things. So that's the, the, the MCTs, the men's cross training events, are another way to do that, to get guys together talking about important stuff and not just silly stuff. So those will start up again in February, end of February, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, lastly, if you didn't, before we get to the readings and to, to shut me up and move, me, move the night on, um, if you didn't, if you haven't received, if you don't receive the emails that we send out from the CTM other than JP, because for some reason his server doesn't like this, sorry, can't fix that, I'm not that guy. Um, if you're not receiving the email that tells you about what we've got going on, make sure that if you haven't yet, you at least scan the QR code on the back table, see me at some point, and if I can at least verify that we have your email address right, I can't guarantee you that your email server is going to let it through because JP is the guy that has proven that can't get past that. Um, so make sure because, because we'll let you know when different things come up and what's going on. Um, yeah. Anything else that I missed that I should have? Anybody that has an opinion that wants to share it real quick? No? Father Paul Hasing is our speaker in January, and I thought I remembered what the topic was, but I can't remember it right now. That's okay. We'll know by the end of the night. Um, so Father Paul Hasing, and then I think, well, we'll leave the February one unspoken at this point. Um, so let's go ahead and, and, oh, that's right. Father likes to, I forget. Yeah. Father likes to talk before we do the readings. Yeah. That's why he's also, too, uh, I'd like to uh, thank Andrew, Andrew Scavage for the uh, dinner. God bless you. The best way to get men together is through Jesus. The second best way to get men together is through our stomach, food. That's right. You got it. So, all right, guys, uh, this uh, passage from uh Isaiah is one of my favorite passages. I, I, I have a, a puppy I named Isaiah because Isaiah is, is probably my favorite prophet of all the, the uh, Old Testament prophets. So let's, let's recap again because I think it's important that we recap Jewish history there. So you know God moved on Abraham about 1,800 years before Jesus. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob wrestled with an angel and then and throughout the night and, and then the angel decided to change Jacob's name to Israel, right? And then Israel had 12 sons and one daughter and they had children, they had children and become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So that's how Israel got its name because of the angel. 
And then the, the 12 tribes ended up in, in, because of a famine, ended up in Egypt for 430 years. And then that's where this guy, starts with letter M, came along. And Moses led them out of Egypt. Because they were then this, this uh, Ramses guy, the Pharaoh, started enslaving them hard. And he led them in. Moses uh, didn't quite lead them into the promised land. He sh fell short. But uh, Joshua, his, his, um, his, uh, his uh, sidekick and his military guy, led them into the promised land eventually. And they had to conquer the Jebusites and the Hittites and the termites and whatever else they had to the Jesuit there. Uh, so there you go. Okay, and then they had they had they were run by twelve they were run by judges, the, the twelve tribes as they settled in the promised land. And then at one point they wanted a king. And the first king of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel was Saul, right? And he came from the northern tribes of Israel. He came from the northern tribes, so it was easy to, to unite these tribes with this one king. Saul fell out of favor with, with, uh, with God, and then the second king was the king of David. Now, David had a hard time at first uniting the ten tribes in the north. He was good with the, the, the two tribes in the south, and, but he, and then it took eight years before the, the, the tribes in the north came down and said, Okay, you're our king. And then David was an important kingdom, even though he was a murderer. He, he killed, he murdered Uriah, the Hittite, and then he was an adulterer with Bathsheba, right? Even though he was that, he, we still, his kingship was a high point because basically it expanded the, the borders, and then he provided peace, and he united the 12 tribes. And the first piece of property that he went after as a king that they didn't have yet in their possession was this little hillside next to Jerusalem called Mount Zion. And that was a strategic place. And then, then that captured the whole city of Jerusalem. And even though King David was from Bethlehem, a little town just south and a little bit west or east of, uh, I mean, like they're four, the Jerusalem and Bethlehem are like four miles apart, right? But David made Jerusalem his capital city. And then and then Solomon, his son, built the, uh, the temple there. So just... And then, do you remember David's father's name? Jesse, right? And that's the key here. So this is the key here. So uh, you're going to hear about, on that day, the shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, right? And that's David. Now, now let's talk about Isaiah real quick now. So David was around um, uh, over a thousand years before Jesus, and then Solomon was around just under a thousand years before Jesus. So they were around the turn of that millennia B.C. there, a thousand years B.C. And then um, Isaiah came around 700 years before Jesus. and when, So that was about 300 years after David. And during this time, Israel, the, the 12 tribes of Israel... Uh, the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south, Judah, were a hot mess. Uh, Isaiah saw the Assyrian army come down, and it took a long time, but eventually the Assyrians conquered the ten tribes in the north. And they, and they, uh, they didn't have a king, but Judah survived it for a while until 587 B.C., about 600 years before Jesus, and that's when the Babylonians came. So Isaiah saw the Assyrians coming down and destroying the, the, the kings, the, uh, the, the tribes, the, the kingdom of the north, Israel. And Judah was hanging in there, although the Assyrians conquered a lot of Judah too, except for Jerusalem. So they were still clinging on to hope. 
And this is what Isaiah was looking at. This is the world that Isaiah was born into. And he was blunt. When you look at his 66th chapter, he, he was blunt about his criticism of Israel. They embraced other forms of religion that, that, that promoted sexual promiscuity, sodomy, baby sacrifice. Does any of this sound familiar to you right now? He was, this is the world he was living in. And he was very blunt about his criticisms here. And yet, as blunt as, as Isaiah was, he was always optimistic. And you're going to hear this. And notice, look at the optimism of this guy. Isaiah is the quintessential archetype of what a man should be. We need to understand reality, but us men need to be optimistic. And Isaiah was optimistic for one reason. He believed he had a great relationship with God. And we need, we need to be optimistic only to God. I was driving up here with Alphonse, and I'm like, man, it's a good thing we got our faith. Otherwise, what, what, what would we be rooting for here? It, everything's a hot mess. And so that's the case with Isaiah. And the last thing I want, so I love his optimism. I mean, he is a, he's childlike optimism. It's just crazy. And then Isaiah, last week, last Sunday, you just heard about all the, all the nations of the world are going to come to Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem, and that's Israel. And we see it in Jesus. He fulfills everything that Isaiah predicts or, or, or uh, uh, prophesies. And he fulfills it in Jesus Christ. And then uh, I heard some wife, let me think about this now, whose wife just got back from the Holy Lands? I, oh, yeah, Debbie. Debbie did. And, and when you go to Holy Lands and you see all these, the world's nations coming to Mount Zion and to Jerusalem, Mount Zion and Jerusalem are pretty much the same thing. And you see that, all, you think about the words of, of the prophet Isaiah. And then Isaiah was such an incredible presence for the Israelite community. Again, it was decrepit and everything. But he was such a stand-up dude, a masculine presence, that he had his disciples writing for him 100 and 200 years after the dude died. So that's why we got Deuteronomy and Third Isaiah. All this, the last 22 chapters, somebody else is writing it for him. And the dude was dead. That's what a type of masculine present he is. So I'll just leave you with that, and we'll get the guys to volunteer then. All right, thank you. So, and not to put you on the spot, but just so the book of Isaiah, the first part was written by Isaiah. Isaiah, yeah. The last half, third, was uh, written by people, other people his disciples, that were. Years later, right, that's, yeah. So that's that's powerful. That's yeah. pretty cool. Um, so volunteers, who wants to, after that description of Isaiah, who's who's got the Isaiahs to come up here and uh, <laughs> proclaim the first reading?
reading from the book of Isaiah. On that day, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of strength, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. Not by appearance shall he judge, nor by hearsay shall he decide. But he shall judge the poor with justice, and decide aright for the lands afflicted. He shall strike the ruthless with the end of his mouth, excuse me, with the rod of his mouth, and the, with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Justice shall be the band around his waist, and faithfulness the belt upon his hips. Then the wolf shall be the guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion shall browse together, and a little child to guide with a little child to guide them. The cow and the bear shall be neighbors, together their young shall rest. The lion shall eat hay like the ox, and the baby shall play by the cobra's den. And the child should lay his hand on the adder's lair, and there shall be no harm or ruin on all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. As waters cover the sea, on that day the root of Jesse, set up as a signal for the nations, the Gentiles shall seek out, for his dwelling shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Responsorial song. The responsorial psalm is justice shall flourish in his time in fullness of peace forever. O God, with your judgment endow the king, and with your justice the king's son. He shall govern your people with justice, and your afflicted ones with judgment. Justice, justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. Justice shall flower in his days, and profound peace till the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Justice shall flourish in his time, and fullness of peace forever. For he shall rescue the poor when he cries out, and the afflicted when he has no one to help him. He shall have pity for the lowly and the poor, the lives of the poor he shall save. May his name be for blessed forever, as long as the sun his name shall remain. In him shall all the tribes of the earth be blessed. All the nations shall proclaim his happiness. Justice shall flourish in his time, and fullness of peace forever. All right, second reading. Go ahead. Yeah. St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, whatever was written previously was written for our instruction, that by endurance and by encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to think in harmony with one another in keeping with Christ Jesus, that with one accord, you may with one voice 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another then as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a minister of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises to the patriarchs, but so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. And with A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. So I already let the cat out of the bag as far as who our speaker is tonight, and he probably doesn't need much of an introduction to many people here because I can't imagine that someone hasn't had interaction with Father Hoover up to this point. Um, but we re I really just want to acknowledge publicly the blessing that we do have by having him present. He's in Bonterre is where his parish is. It's, it's an hour and 45 minutes probably round trip because I'm pretty sure he drives the speed limit now. Um, and, and there, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world and in the church. And for a priest and a pastor and a busy man to understand the priority, the importance of souls first, facilities second, and I'm not saying he's, he's not paying attention to his facilities, but recognizing the importance of what we're doing right here tonight and that there really isn't much more important that he could do on any given night than help a bunch of men get closer to Christ and his church and lead them in the, in the direction 
to leading their families in that same direction to, to heaven. Um, so thank you, Father, for, for everything you've done for the CTM, and thank you for being here tonight to speak with us. So my job tonight is to try to wrap up a little bit of what's been happening with the, the uh, monthly talks, and that, that's, that's been a really challenge there. First of all, I knew one of the, the speakers was going to be here tonight, and I think Deacon Bob is here somewhere, so there he is, yeah. So Deacon Bob, I, I'm just going to let you know that uh, when you, you preach, Deacon Siebel say understand this too, when you preach and somebody says, hey, we really got a lot out of your homily or whatever, I'm like okay, what, what did you? By the way, what did you get out of it? And they're like, they tell you, I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't know I preached that, but okay, that's that works here. So, and so that's what it's probably going to happen with you, Bob, with me. So there you go. And you can look at these these talks on Catholic CTM. Uh, so it's really really cool to see these talks here. Okay. So if you remember a guy named Steve Melosha that talked about some of you were at that. That was in September, I think it was. And Steve did a wonderful job. He's got, uh, he's got 12 children, and two, two of his boys are priests, and one of them was thinking about becoming a priest, and who knows. But uh, Steve's children, he, he professed that they're all, at least right now, practicing their Catholic faith, which is unheard of. And that doesn't happen by accident, as Steve teaches us. He, he was intentional about this. Steve knew what this world was like, I was having lunch with my brother, and, and had he known what was going to happen, he would have been more intentional, he told me. And, and his four children are between ages of 22 and, and 30, and none of them really practicing their faith that much. And we, and we got a lot of that going on. So Steve was teaching us how we need to be intentional with our children and grandchildren, how important that is. And it starts with how you approach Mass. And he, he starts off with the number one mission of every man is to get your family to heaven. And that, that really uh, satisfies what we believe in the CTM. You need to manage your life from the ninth inning backwards. Uh, um, Whitey Herzog made, made that comment. A great manager manages the game from the ninth inning backwards. And we need to do that as men, and Steve was doing that. He, so he said, okay, the number one goal, and really the only one goal, is to get your wife and your family to heaven. That's it. There's nothing more important. There's no other important thing than that. But it makes everything else more important, how you live your life and your work field and everything else. But that's, that was it. And that's, that's a holy endeavor to get your family to heaven. That's holy. And with that, then, it requires a holy obligation. Now, we have lots of obligations as men. What's the most holiest obligation that we have as men? Happens on Sundays. Go in the Mass. There's nothing more holier than that. We have an obligation that if our goal is to, to be in a situation where it's totally holiness, then we need an obligation then that satisfies that, and that obligation needs to be holy, just as holy as, as the end, and that's Mass, where heaven and earth come together in a very, very powerful way. And then Steve went on to talk about how it's important that we prepare for Mass. 
Matt Surdock is really one of the guys that really pushes that we do the readings beforehand, the, the upcoming Sunday. And all this, the goal is to, to again, to us men to prepare that we get a heads up on what the readings are about and we, and we, we get a heads up on this. And we need to pre prepare for the most important event that happens in our life and that's going to Mass. Not only in our lives, the most important event that happens in our, in our families is going to Mass. There's nothing more important. And again, that single importance makes everything else, how we live our lives, even more important. And so we do need to pre uh, prepare. Steve talked about a, a time when he was a boy in New York and his family, they were at church. I forgot what church, the name of the church. And it was before, five minutes before Mass. And he looked over and his dad was mumbling to himself. And, you know, being a little boy and, and with lots of energy, he, Mom, what's going on? What's, what, who's dad talking to? And his mom whacked him and said, hey, just shut up, you know. And he, he realized, you know, that's his dad praying talking verbally to his Lord and Savior in the Eucharist there. And we do need to prepare, and we need to show up at Mass early and bring our families early to Mass and show them how important it is. And, and then he talked about St. Francis, how we need to preach the gospel, and if you have to use words, do that too. I don't know if St. Francis actually said that. There's some discrepancy there, but let's go with it anyway. And that's what his dad was doing. His dad was preaching clearly our theology on, on the Eucharist and didn't say a word to his sons. And we need to make this a priority. When we do, we preach clearly what the, how important the Eucharist is and what the Eucharist is all about there. And then how we receive the Eucharist, how we are attentive to the readings and how we receive the Eucharist is very important. I mentioned to you, some of you, that for the longest time when I was, when I was going to church, I would receive out of the hand. And, and I would try to do it reverently, but I'm like, you know what? I need to stop doing it. I need to receive out of the tongue on the tongue because you don't have to teach kids, well, you need to do this, you need to do that, you know, where will you teach them how to receive out of the tongue? There's, there's no teaching that. It, it, you got to do that reverently, and, and it really does highlight that. And at Immaculate Conception, and I believe here at St. Joe's, we got kneelers out now. They have it at St. Joe's here, I understand? Yes. And so you have an opportunity to kneel before your God and receive the Eucharist. Wow. I mean, that's the best way to receive the Eucharist. And there's, you don't have to teach, you don't have to tell people anything then. You teach through your action. And I, I just love that then. And so we need to continue to prepare for Holy Mass and show it to our children and grandchildren then. And then he, he went, uh, went on to talk about the Mass as sacrifice and why is sacrifice so important? Sacrifice, when we sacrifice, we sacrifice, we have to sacrifice what's important to us. So like if you have these athletes that are really good athletes and what's important to them is to succeed on, on, the, uh, on the field of play and they sacrifice, that's important to them. But for us, there's something more, way more important. That's Jesus and our relationship with Jesus, your relationship with everybody else. Relationships are the most important thing. And we sh we, it demands that we sacrifice. And if that's the case with us, it's all the more case with God. He sacrificed once and for all in Calvary, but it was such an incredible sacrifice 
that it's a perpetual sacrifice that happens on every Catholic altar. We don't repeat that. No, it's a one-time sacrifice that perpetuates itself in a continuous way on every Catholic altar. And then again, heaven and earth come together as we see in, 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 in the book of Revelation. And then Jesus shows that sacrifice. He shows how important we are through his sacrifice on Calvary that continues every time we go to Holy Mass. Okay, so that's, there's so much more that Steve offered, uh, but to now I want to get into Bob here, and this is Bob, Deacon Bob Eichelberg's uh, talk. I loved the talk. I was like, wow, he really gave us a lot. Um, he gave us uh, four points there. He talked about marriage and how you show your love and how you live as a man with, with, with marriage there. He talked, first of all, about marriage in the Bible. And he, he said that the Bible begins with marriage, with Adam and Eve, ends with marriage, with the lamb that was once slain, slain Jesus Christ, and then the church, his bride, the church, is allowed to wear uh, linen and dress herself, and, and then there's marriage, marriage, marriage throughout the Bible. For God, marriage is, is throughout the 73 books in the Bible. And as uh, Bob talk, talked about, Deacon Bob, he talked about the, the creation story. In the second creation story, God made Adam and Eve. How did he make Eve? He, out of the side of the man, right? But what did, he do, what did he have to do to Adam before he did that, though? He had to put him to sleep, right? And out of his side came his wife, and this is that last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That is a, a, a precursor, what we call a type, to Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus on the cross, and he finally merci mercifully dies, but they wanted to make sure he was, he was dead. And so what did they do? They ran aside, uh, they pierced his side, right? And out came blood and water. With the sacrament, what does water symbolize? The sacrament baptism, and then with blood, the Eucharist. That's the church. And that is the bride of Jesus, is his church. And Jesus embraces his, his role as the bridegroom and his church as the bride. And if you don't believe me, just look at uh, Mark's second chapter where the uh, where the Pharisees said, why do the disciples of John, the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? And Jesus' answer is, well, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. Jesus is referring to himself as a bridegroom. If you're a bridegroom, what do you need? You need a bride. You need a wife. And who's the bride of Jesus but his church? Now, Jesus didn't come up with anything new, really. He just embraced it all the more. If you look at the Old Testament, God has two loves for his bride, for Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. One is that fatherly love. And you look at throughout Scripture, you'll see that God loves his children. They are his children. We are the Abba, Father. Uh, but although his, his, he doesn't embrace the Abba part, but he does call them children a lot of times. 
And then the other thing, too, that, that God uses is he, this espousal love with Israel. And let me draw you with Isaiah 62, verse 4 through 5. No more shall men call you forsaken or your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight and your land espoused. For as the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse, as a young man marries a virgin, so your builders shall marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. Isaiah is painting this picture of God having this espousal relationship with Israel. So again, remember what Deacon Bob said, the Bible starts with marriage, ends with marriage, and there's marriage, marriage, marriage throughout. And we just hit the highlights there. And then uh, he pointed out a Revelation 19. Now this is one he did point out. Um, that Isaiah one was my idea, so I just rammed that in there. Sorry, Bob. Um, but uh, the, the Revelation 19, Jesus referred in, in the book of Revelation as basically three things, the lion from the tribe of Judah, and that's only a few times. And the other one is the lamb that was once slain, the lamb of God. And there's lots of historical things, and I can, I can give you a talk on that, but I won't bore, bore you with that too much. But and then the other one is the bridegroom. So here he is, Revelation 19, at the very end, there's 22 chapters in that book. The first 11 chapters deal with the liturgy of the Word, and the second half deals with the liturgy of the Eucharist. So does that sound familiar to you? And that's the book of Revelation. Now here's Revelation 19, but in, as Deacon Bob pointed out, in the Eucharist, though, there is this nuptial uh, union that God has with his spouse, the church. And he, and he uh, points out uh, Revelation 19, uh, 7 through 8, uh, and I'll just go ahead and say it. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding day of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. She was allowed to wear a bright, clean linen garment. And so you see that espousal relationship even in the book of Revelation. And then Deacon Bob made this comment, too, that, and I, I, didn't, I didn't think about this, but uh, man, the union of man and wife reflects the Holy Trinity. That with the Holy Trinity, you got Father, who's different from the Son and the Holy Spirit and all, all that, but yet they're one God, because that's what happens when you have perfect love. Hate divides. Love unites, and when you got perfect love from pouring out from the Father to the Son and vice versa, you got perfect oneness, and that's why we believe in three divine persons but one God. Let me do it this way, one God. And, and, but, but they don't, because of their oneness, though, and because of love, though, it doesn't take away from their distinction that God the Father is God the Father, God the, God the Son is God the Son, and vice versa with the Holy Spirit. And Deacon Bob was talking about how male and female, they're distinct, but love brings them together in a unitive way. And then there's a third person, hopefully, and that person is, is a baby. And maybe that person will be lots of babies, like the Cheneys there. So that's what we got there. And then I love this too. Um, wait, I'm jumping a gun here. And so the, 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 the love of a man and woman reflects the Holy Trinity. 
And then he talks about the unitive dimension of this. So love brings man and woman together. Gentlemen, we're, we've had 2,000 years plus of, of Christianity, and we, we assume that there was always been romance and marriage. Just so you know that in the world, Christianity introduced to the world romance, to marriage. That before Christianity, marriage was just an obligation. Marriage was just a, a woman that you took possession of and you, you dealt with the husband. There were different forms of it. It was an institution. It was an earthly institution, but there was very little romance in there. And then here the Christians introduced the world that no, uh, a man and a woman are joined, co-equals, equals joint heirs to the life of grace. And Christianity taught that, not in a perfect way. We all know as men, we got to continue to learn how to love. And you men who are married got to learn how to continue to love your, 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 your wives and everything else. That, that's certainly the case. But we, Christianity, introduced romance and that unitive part there. And it needs to be prayer hands. If, if the sexual act is not this, then it's perverted. It's a perversion. And so the sex acts between men and women should be like this prayer hands. I even encourage uh, my, when I prepare couples for marriage to think about praying before sex. And this one couple came to me afterwards. They got married, and he's like, wow, that was pretty cool. Well, yeah, it was your first time, I guess. It would, it would be pretty cool, you know. But, um, but wow, he, he was like, wow, that was really neat, though, to bring God into that beautiful act. And that's what, that's what Christianity brought into the world, is that God and sex is just beautiful. Our world crunches it up. As uh, Christopher West said, uh, uh, sex is this beautiful painting, and our world has take it, taken it, and with our brokenness, has crumbled it up and, and wrinkled it. And, um, and then maybe our world's trying to flatten the edge and, make, and still look at But what God's trying to do is he's really trying to, to make sex this beautiful thing that it's holy and good and decent, especially when we, when we use the way God wants it to, and it's unitive. And then Deacon Bob talked about uh, Christ as the bridegroom, and we talked about that a little bit here. The, the four mar- now, this is where I'm going to add on to uh, what Deacon Bob was talking about here. The four marks of church, this is my, my thing, and the four marks of church that I teach my couples is till death do us part. It's something that you never heard of. I mean, you've heard of it before. Till death do us part, right? That's one mark. Fidelity is important. That's another mark. That not only do you make, you make a commitment to your wife, but you have fidelity to her. And then uh, marriage between a man and a woman. Catholic Church is never going to uh, uh, see anything else but that. And you can only have one spouse. And why is all that important? Because Jesus is the bridegroom. And the Christian marriage is all about a walking, breathing sacrament of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And that's why God, when he calls young men and women or not so young men and women to get married, he's asking the, to, that's what they got to fill out. Do you intend a lifelong commitment to marriage? And they're going to check yes or no. Almost all of them check yes. Well, why is that important? Because you're a walking, breathing sacrament of Christ's love for his bride, the church, and Christ's love for his bride, the church, didn't come and go. It was totally committed and totally faithful. And Jesus only had one bride, and that was the church. And Jesus was the bridegroom, the church is the bride. That's it. 
And so G Jesus uh, Christ, the bridegroom, that was one of the other things that uh, Deacon Bob talked about. And Deacon Bob, I can't remember if you, um, if you brought up Ephesians 5.21 in your talk. Okay, well, I'm going to do it then. Here we go. Uh, Ephesians 5.21 through 33, it, it, you guys are all familiar with this. Basically, uh, wise, husbands, wives, be submissive or subjected to each other as to the Lord. Wives, be subject, subjected to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and he himself the Savior. As the church is subjected to Christ, so let wives be also subjective and everything to their husbands. Now, what does Paul convince wives to do? It, and Christopher West, in his book called The Good News About Sex and Marriage, pointed this out, to be under the mission of the husband. And the wives would think, well, okay, well, I'll think about what's under, what's the, but what's the mission of my husband? I'll think about that, but what is the mission of my husband? Well, let's see what Paul says here. And he goes on to say in, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. And how do you do that? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? He died, right? The cross. Gave himself up for her that, she, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and word that he might present to a church, uh, to, church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So I teach my couples... Uh, the, the guys, you, every day you need to figure out how to teach your wife how beautiful she is and, sh and show it. And so husbands should love their wives as their own body. And then you'll notice in our, in our uh, prayer, it, it makes a reference that husbands love their wives. And then wives, it, Paul says, wives, re re learn to respect your husband. That's the very last verse there. Because And Paul didn't do the study, but there are studies that come out. If, if wives had to pick one or the other, love or respect, what do you think they would pick? Love. Where if men had to choose love or respect, and they, couldn't have, they could only have one or the other, what do you think 80% of men picked? Respect. So husbands need to learn to love their wives, and wives need to learn to respect their husbands. So that was uh, the, the bridegroom. And then the third point that uh, Deacon, Paul, uh, Deacon uh, Bob pointed out was marriage and the Eucharist. Now this was, Deacon Bob, I just love this. This was so awesome. The parallelism between marriage and the Eucharist. Of course, we see it in the book of Revelation, one of the uh, verses that we pointed out to. But Deacon Bob did a really cool job of how there is so parallelism. And he says the Eucharist is the love embrace between Christ and his bride, the church. Every time you go to the Eucharist, you're seeing a nuptial loving action between God and his church, his bride. And I know uh, um, Matt tells me that he and Steffi, with the, the marriage encounter, you come up together, shoulder to shoulder, bride and groom, and you receive Jesus that way. Because in the Eucharist, a man and a woman is renewing their, their covenant, their married, marital covenant. And I love that, that they teach you that. I, I love when I see couples do that. Because then it reflects, again, as Deacon Bob points out, Christ and his bride, the church. And the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice's Mass, is all about the bridegroom offering a perpetual sacrifice for his bride, the church. 
It's just really awesome. And then remember too, now here's what here was another cool thing that Deacon Bob pointed out too. Now you didn't you didn't talk about this, Deacon Bob, but I, I will uh, transubstantiation. You you'll hear me talk about it. That's one of the most important Catholic words to learn, transubstantiation. Now, what, when we're using philosophy, substance describes what a thing is. So not what the material. So the materialist thing is paper and, 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 and pulp, right? But substantially speaking, using your philosophical heart here, what is this? It's a book, right? So substantially speaking, this is a book. Substantially speaking, this wooden thing up here is a podium. Substantially speaking, this is a mic, and you, you get the idea. Substance describes what a thing is. We got a chair, substantially speaking. So this material, let's pretend like this is real wood. And this material, this wood, when it, when it, had, when it had bark around it and green things growing out from it, substantially speaking, what was it? A tree, right? And then somebody cut it down and put it in the shed, and now it took a, it's no longer a tree, substantially speaking. It is lumber. And then somebody took the lumber and shaped it, and, and now we got, now substantially speaking, that same material that used to be a tree, substantially speaking, and used to be lumber, is now a podium. You see, there's, it's transubstantiation. The substance transforms from one thing to another, from a tree to lumber to a podium. In the Eucharist, in the Holy Mass, when the gifts are brought up, substantially speaking, what is it? Bread and wine. Bread and wine. But then there's going to be a transubstantiation happening, and it transforms the substance into the body and blood of Jesus. That's transubstantiation. That's what we believe as a Eucharist, as, as Catholics. Now, Bob, Deacon Bob pointed out a really cool thing that... When you take away the real presence, if you don't believe that, it's almost like contracepting Jesus. And remember the close parallelism that Deacon Bob pointed here. The parallelism between the Eucharist and how we celebrate the Eucharist and marriage. It's all right there. Maybe we can do it this way. And so when you contracept what we believe, about Jesus and his very real presence, soul, and divinity, well, then you can contracept anything, including marriage, including this beautiful sex act. And if you change the meaning of the mass, that that's just a symbolic presence, well, then what's the meaning of marriage in? It's symbolic. It, the, it, was, it really did, Deacon Bob did a great job of highlighting that, how beautiful the parallelism is in that. And we need to fight and teach the world that, no, Jesus is really present. The bridegroom is really present. There's a transubstantiation. It's no longer bread and wine. It's the body and blood of Jesus. Well, I don't like to take the wine. Well, it's not the wine. It's, it's blood, the precious blood. And we need to continue to, to preach that and teach that. And then the last point that Deacon uh, Bob talked about was prayer and marriage. And he did so many beautiful things. I can just imagine, I've never been married, obviously, and, but I can just imagine that after a while, one of two things happens in your relationship with your wife. You run out of things to talk about, or 
The things that you can come up and talk about is just negative. And who wants to do any one of those two? When Deacon, Paul, Deacon uh, Bob was talking about marriage and prayer, I kept thinking, yeah, if we, can, if we can get couples to continue to develop their prayer life, you won't stop talking about stuff, and it'll all be positive. I mean, there's nothing more positive in this world than Jesus. And it reminds me of the story of St. Benedict visiting his, his sister, St. Scholastica. I remember when I was in the seminary first hearing this story, he visited his, his, his sister in the convent, and, his, and he said, well, I got to go, sis. And his sister actually prayed for a storm to keep him there, and that's what happened. And then they talked throughout the night on, about the spiritual life into the morning. I remember when I first heard that story, I'm like, what, what do you talk about? I mean, I would run out. I mean, I could talk about sports maybe all night, but what do you, t what do, you do? What's, how do you do that? Well, now I know how to do that. When you got two people, two men, two women, uh, and definitely man and wife all in on Jesus and, and really want to learn about Jesus and pray about Jesus, you can talk forever as man and wife about Jesus, and it's the most positive thing to talk about. And it, it makes you more intimate than, than anything. So I, I, I just want to add what, what Deacon uh, Bob was talking about. He really did hammer home how important it is that you intentionally uh, pray together as man and wife there. Okay, now we're going to get into Deacon uh, Keating here, and I'll move a little quicker here. So uh, Deacon uh, Keating, another wonderful gifted uh, thing, he, he, uh, he talked about liturgy is a participation in the life and death of G Jesus, period. Now, that, that's important. So when we, when we celebrate the Mass, we're celebrating the entire, what we call the kerygma of Jesus, his, his birth, his, his raising up as a child, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection and ascension, the whole, the whole kerygma. But the, it, but the perpetual sacrifice happens, though, but in, in the context of the entire life of Jesus as he's living in heaven you know, right now. Okay. Notice how it has nothing to do with the self at this point in time. So Deacon uh, uh, Keating was teaching us about the duality that is happening in our world and with Holy Mass representing one part of the duality, which happens, happens to be the most important part of our duality. And then, uh, but also too, he describes how our culture teaches us about the self. Now, we don't want to dismiss the self. We don't want to do that. The self is very important. I mean, for crying out loud, God created the self. But the self it should not be the end. And so, be, uh, so Deacon Keating described the second part, and, the, and our culture then preys on our self. Our culture represents the, the, part, the part of the duality that involves the self. And, and basically, uh, the, our culture teaches by our birth, we are ordered towards salvation. That's what our culture teaches. And they don't worry, about, and our culture doesn't, teaches us, don't worry about the end times. It'll take care of itself. We don't need God's help or his church or his sacraments. We don't need that. And I'm thinking about my 
my 10 nieces and nephews, seven of them are between ages 22 and 32. It's just not a priority because they don't, because they, they uh, drank the Kool-Aid of self in our culture. And then the total fulfillment is within yourself. The vine has something that will have a, you'll have to deal with in the future, but not now. That's what our culture teaches us. You don't have to worry about it now. You'll have to deal with it in the future. And everything about our lives is functionality. And how is this going to help me? But the church now teaches the opposite of that, right? The church is trying to teach the, uh, the greater importance of this duality. And that is Jesus and divine life. And the church teaches that we are not destined for God. We are not preordained for God and that our salvation is not assured. Because of Adam and Eve, we are born oriented more easily towards, as Deacon Keating said, self-involvement. Because of Adam and Eve. And the most selfish creature you're going to find in this world is a baby, right? And then when we get older, we try to manage our, our brokenness, our orientation towards ourselves. We try to manage it with God's graces and with prayer and with the help of others. But ultimately, we got to constantly fight that, the self. It never goes away. And that we are born, we are not born oriented easily to, uh, towards self-transcendence. That's a tough gig. That's why we need the, the men in this room. And he talks about this is a great burden in our, in our movement towards holiness. Through great difficulty, we try to rid ourselves of ourselves. Not kill it, but we make God the most important thing. And we are deeply fascinated with the self, and in order to gain salvation, we need to crucify the self that is in our disordered selves. We need to crucify that. And Jesus showed us the way that way. And the divine is not just something that we will need to do in our future, but it is an infinite reality right now, which is the opposite of what our world teaches us. We can set aside the divine and live however we want, but no, we got to do it now. And then I'll leave you with this here, last port here. Um, well, one, two things. One is... Um, he talks about how beauty helps us rid ourselves of the self. You guys remember that, how he did that? What, why do you get married? Really, beauty is what strikes you, right, of your wives. And it, and it, it, it was a first step, probably, he says, in his, in his wonderful way of getting you rid of the self and working towards another. Is that marriage there? Now, the challenge I was thinking afterwards, weeks after that, is now we got beauty actually trying to prey on, on encouraging us to, to live selfishly with our women dressing the way they are and everything else. It actually works the opposite then, and that's, that's tragic. And then the last thing I want to I offer you with Deacon uh, uh, Keating, but so many things, we, we live in a world that tries to anesthetize ourselves so that we don't have to, we don't want to 
we don't want to get rid of ourselves. So we, we don't want to go through the process of being bored. He used the word boredom. Because boredom will allow us to, um, to, to really look outside ourselves. And then he talks about why our culture doesn't like to go to mass. Because the mass is not about ourselves. The mass is about Jesus. And again, I'm thinking about my older nieces and nephews. They're so into themselves, and they're good people. But they're so into themselves that I, one of the, my twin nephews said, well, what am I going to get out of mass? How do, how do you break that? And Deacon King says, we, we just got to rid ourselves of all this distraction so that we, it's okay to be bored. We need boredom at mass. We need it to help rid ourselves of ourselves, and it, it's very painful there. It's a wrenching process, he said. Okay, so that'll be the summary now. Now, real quickly, I'll, I'll get into what, what we're going to look for in the future here. CTM is all about uh, trying to, to, again, attack the problem. The problem is us men need each other. We need a lot of masculinity to continue to grow as men. Our boys need masculinity to grow as, as men. And we need masculinity to grow as better men. And CTM is meant to is is designed to try to try to get men together and talk about Jesus. There are entrepreneurs. A lot of you guys are entrepreneurs out there, and entrepreneurs pay thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to hang out with other entrepreneurs, and they hear about their stories. Well, we're not going to charge you thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. But why, why, why are we here? Because we want to hear the stories of other men, which somehow in a magically, magical way, it makes us better men. That's the way it works. When you hear other men talking about them, it makes you a better man. When you hang out with better Christian men, it just helps you there. And so that's what we're trying to do here at CTM is bring men together, listen to a talk, a long-winded priest like myself, and then, and then come together and then talk about it. And then the last thing I'll leave you with this, and a lot of you have heard me and uh, all the CTM guys talk about this important book called From Christendom to Apostolic Age. This is one of the most insightful 90 pages of a book you'll read, From Christendom to Apostolic Age. And maybe... Um, Matt, Serdak, maybe we'll put this, this picture of this book on our website there. Um, so this is one of the most insightful books. And what it, what it does is basically it's, it acknowledges that we have three major p, uh, uh, portions to our church history. The first portion is the apostolic age where we were a persecuted church from the time of Jesus until the Constantinople, uh, Constantine and the Edict of Milan, and, and he quit, he ceased all the persecutions of Christianity. And during that time, it was sodomy, it was sexual promiscuity, it was sexual perversion, it was gladiator fights, and the church had to, could not take an army and face that head on. The church had to deal with this covertly and in small groups. And what that did was it changed the culture, these small groups. I mean, before Constantine even issued the Edict of Milan in 313 A.D., almost over, well over half the, the Roman Empire was Christian, all because of these small groups. And then when we got then the Constantine, then 
Christendom happened. And we were able to build institutions, hospitals, learning, institutes of learning, St. Vincent de Paul's, parishes. Uh, the postal center, there are people out all over the place, east, west, established institutions called parishes. And it worked and it spread the faith from one generation to another and it spread it, spread it horizontally. It worked. Institutions worked. Because now, we, because during that time, we were the dominant political and social thought. Sexual perversion, it's, it's still obviously was there, but it was, it was a taboo. Sodomy was probably still there, but it was taboo. Gladiator fights stopped. And now we reverence and we revered marriage, but it was still a difficult process, right? I mean, none of this was perfect, but at least it was a taboo with all these things that were going on during apostolic time. And now, in, from the 20th century into the 21st century, we're back to apostolic time again. And so those institutions that used to work, they don't work anymore. Now we got to go back to small groups again. And that's what the CTM is all about. That's why we got these men's cross training now. And then I, I promise you, this will be it now. So. <laughs> Um, we now have men's cross trainings now in Jefferson, Northern Jefferson County and in St. Francis County and St. Genevieve County. Next semester, the spring semester, we're going to start another one in Perry County. And then we want to start one in Southern Jefferson County. Or we'll see what happens because Jefferson County has 200, almost 280,000 people and needs more men's cross training. Um, uh, St. Francis County has 60,000 people and Jefferson and uh, St. Genevieve and Perry County has about 19,000 people living in all those counties. So, and we're, we're putting together coaching staffs, spiritual coaching staffs in each one of these areas and they're going to promote these men's cross training. They're going to promote doing other things like um, having couples over for All Saints parties on Halloween or having potluck so suppers or having bonfire rosaries and, and, and having the kids over. These are some of the things that we got to do in small groups. And we got to evangelize and make evangelization fun. It, it's not about so much. I mean, I love our faith, as you can probably tell. But more importantly, though, we got to get together as a community and farm these small communities. And we will get back our culture. It's the only way it's going to happen. It's through these small groups. And the, the CTM create these men's cross training where they're designed to meet the first three, um, whatever you pick a day. Let's go with Wednesday, but it could be, it could be two, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You meet the first three uh, coming spring. You meet the first three, let's say two, Wednesdays on, um, on February, March, and April. And then you stop. And then we'll do it in the fall. And we're going to spread this. And we're going to have men give their testimony talks. And we're going to talk about Jesus. These small groups are the only thing that's going to get this thing changed. If, if the, uh, the election turned out the way you think it should, even if everything fell into place, it, it's, it would be just a Band-Aid. We got some real problems. We got almost half of our children born in this country are born without the daddies in the homes. That's a real problem. And especially with the boys. And so we know that this, this apostolic approach is going to demand more for you men like it did 
during apostolic time, from Jesus' time to Constantine. And we know that when we, we're not going to have wholesale conversions. That's not going to happen anymore. But we got to do is get the groups together and pick the, the low-hanging fruit and then go and get it and then pick the next one and the next one. So as we look forward to 2023, that's what we're going to do then. Uh, we're going to continue to plug for, and we're not, we're going to be relentless and we're going to, because we know Satan is, and we're going to keep doing it, doing it, and doing it. And I want to thank you guys for letting me rumble all this time. God bless you. All right. A CTM man believes that a man cannot fulfill his divine mission God has planned for him without a lot of divine help. What in the past have you done to allow God's graces to penetrate your life that has transformed your life into the transcendent man that God wants you to be? What will you commit to in the year 2023 to help this important process happen in your life? Okay, let's go ahead and all stand here. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank, thank you, gentlemen, for coming out. You guys are great.